humans, hello humans, it's me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio and lovely AM 950. How are you? Talking to you from the bunker in Eden Prairie. I am thrilled, thrilled to be here, talking with you on a radio show where we do something fairly unique. We highlight idealism and idealists, those humans who are working for positive change in the world. And wow, how the world has changed since you last heard my voice on the airwaves. On, uh, on Thursday, like, like we're taping this show on Friday the 31st, just so you know, and that's relevant because of uh, what's coming up. But yesterday, on Thursday the 30th, we received the shocking, cataclysmic news about Donald Trump's indictment. Uh, something, uh, something, that will, uh, something that with an inevitable trial will be at the forefront uh, for the next two years. But I'm positive there'll be other indictments coming down. And then on Tuesday of this week, darn, uh, there was the senseless shooting at a Christian school in Nashville committed by a transgender person. I'll talk about that in my C block. And lastly, as I said, we are taping this show on Transgender Day of Visibility, March 31st, which is a day aimed at raising awareness about transgender people. A majority of Americans have never knowingly met a transgender person. And this day is intended to let others know that transgender folks are real and just like everyone else. Okay? And in light of Transgender Day of Visibility, the big interview is with Gen uh, Jennifer uh, Pizer of Lambda Legal. You will not want to miss hearing what Jenny, this incredible idealist, has to say. But let us begin with this week's featured idealist, another um, an author and his new groundbreaking book about poverty in America. I'm speaking of sociologist and Princeton University professor Matthew Desmond and his book titled Poverty, Comma, by America. Here are the specifics about Matthew Desmond. He is in his 40s, early 40s, and he's a 2002 graduate of Arizona State University. He went on to earn his PhD from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And after that, he taught at Harvard University, and now he teaches at Princeton. Most notably, Matthew Desmond has been prolific as a writer, with almost all of his writings and books examining America's system of economic injustice. His book titled, quote, Evicted, colon, Poverty and Profit in the American City, which examined how mass evictions after the 2008 Great Recession, Recession were a root cause of poverty. That book earned him the 2017 Pulitzer Prize for general nonfiction, and a 2016 National Book Award. His current book, Poverty by America, is replete with data such as this. So here we go. I'm going to overwhelm you here with a lot of uh, data. So as I speak to you right now, one in nine people live below the poverty line. So the next time you go to the mall and you're sitting in the mall, you know, the food court, just look around, find yourself, find yourself 10 people, okay? Just find, count 10 people and know that one and maybe more, but at least one of those 10 people lives below the poverty line. And here's, so you're asking, well, what's the poverty line? So the poverty, definition of poverty changes 
every year because of inflation and everything. But today in, in 2003, 2023, excuse me, you are considered poor if you are single and making less than $14,580. And if you're a family of four, you're considered poor if you're making $30,000 or less. 38 million Americans live in poverty. One in three Americans live in a household earning less than $55,000. Since the year 2000, evictions are up 22%. The number of families visiting food pantries is up 19%. The number of homeless kids in public schools since 2000 is up a whopping 74%. Um, and, uh, and what Matthew Desmond in his book talks about you know, it's a book not necessarily about the poor, but about the rest of us who benefit from poverty because the poor subsidize affluence, as Desmond writes. An example, um, we get higher interest rates, us who save money, okay, able to save money. We get highest interest rates that are fueled in part by overdraft fees and penalties that poorer bank customers have to pay because of their overdrafts. We like cheap goods that the working poor produce. And the fact that their wages are lower make those goods cheaper for us. Uh, there are various tax breaks for those who are well off. Even the college savings plans, okay? Um, what it means is less money in the budgets for anti-poverty investments. Um, and so I want to read to you something from Desmond's book, okay? So um, remember, it's copyrighted, but I'm citing it, and I'm sure that Matthew Desmond is happy that I'm sharing about his book. So here we go. Quote, poverty is pain, physical pain. It is in the back aches of home health aides and certified nursing assistants who bend their bodies to hoist the old and sick out of beds and off toilets. It is in the feet and knees of cashiers made to stand while taking our orders and ringing up our items. It is in the skin rashes and migraines of maids who clean our office buildings, homes, and hotel rooms with products containing ammonia and triclosrin. In America's meatpacking plants, two amputations occur each week. A bandsaw logs off someone's finger or hand. Pickers in Amazon warehouses have access to vending machines dispensing free Advil and Tylenol. Slum housing spreads asthma. It's mold and cockroaches allergens seeping into the young lungs and airways. And it poisons children with lead, causing irreversible damage to their tiny central nervous systems and brains. Poverty is the cancer that forms in the cells of those who live near petrochemical plants and waste incinerators. Now remember... Why are they, and I'm parenthetically throwing in here, why are they living there? Because that's the only place where they can afford the rents. Desmond goes on to write, Roughly one in four children living in poverty have untreated cavities, which can morph into tooth decay, causing sharp pain and spreading infection to their faces and even brains. With public insurance re reimbursing only a fraction of dental costs, many families simply cannot afford regular trips to the dentist. 30 million Americans remain completely uninsured a decade after the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Again, uh, that is from the book by Matthew Desmond titled, again, Poverty by America. Now, I don't know about you, okay, but, you know, 
Uh, I do some shopping online, not a whole lot, but you know the way the algorithms work and all of that jazz. And you get, you know, you click on one thing and then you start getting a whole lot of, you know, sidebar advertisements for other things. So if you're a woman and, you know, very often you're clicking, oh, let me look at that top. Okay, you start seeing these things. And I will tell you, I'm seeing, you know, on the sidebars, dresses, dresses for $30, tops for, you know, $15.99, you know, stuff that is incredibly cheap, you know, and inexpensive and maybe also be cheaply made. But, but you know what? I'm also aware when I see those that behind that are production workers who are grossly underpaid. They're maybe production workers in foreign countries, most likely, okay, who are working at subservient wages and, and, and possibly working in, in, in instances where, that constitute, an, you know, um, uh, servitude, you know. And so as you are making your, you know, earning decisions, your purchase decisions, folks, understand that behind those decisions, and this is literally how affluence is underwritten, by the poor, that behind those des- decisions, that cheap top, that cheap, you know, cheap pants that you want to buy, okay, that behind those decisions are people who are living in poverty. They are. And when you go to the checkout, will you do me this favor? You know, at the grocery store, at least ask, at least ask the cashier how their day is. How are you? How's it going? How, how, how is everything for you? Okay? Let them know that at least they're human. And it would be really great if you could say, hey, thanks. Really appreciate it. Just let them have some sense of appreciation. Because I guarantee you, even working at 15 bucks an hour, guarantee you, that is not enough relative to what it costs to live today. Okay. All right. So check out Matthew Desmond's book, um, uh, Poverty by America. Go, uh, go to your local bookstore and order it that would, or find it. That would be really great. But if not, go and get it however otherwise you would get it. Um, it's on my list to buy and read. You can believe that. And um, okay, that's the end of our A Block. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jenny uh, Pizer from Lando Legal. You will love her interview. She is a dynamic person. And then we'll do my C block after that. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks. Radio. Um, as I said in uh, my A block, this is Transgender Day of Visibility. And in honor of that, uh, we have a really, really special guest. Um, and it's somebody that I've befriended recently um, uh, because she and I happened to be in New Orleans together last month to receive an award from the American Bar Association, the Stonewall Award. 
And I'm going to welcome here uh, Jenny Pizer, who is the uh, Chief Legal Officer and uh, Eden Rushing Chair for Lambda Legal. That would be the oldest and largest legal organization working on behalf of LGBTQ plus people in America. Jenny, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Well, Ellie, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure, and especially today. Today is a really important day for us to mark, to celebrate, and uh, I am just delighted to be with you. Well, I am thrilled to have you generally, but particularly today. I really am. And um, and I should also let my audience know, I mean, you've got credentials up the wazoo. You're a you know, graduate of Harvard. You went to NYU Law School. Uh, you, uh, you were the... Um, uh, legal director for the Williams Institute at U- uh, UCLA. Uh, you taught at uh, USC and Loyola and Whittier Law School. I mean, you've got all kinds of credentials, but sitting as the chief legal officer for Lambda Legal, you are in a position to have your finger on the pulse of all kinds of litigation going on in America right now. Do I have that right? Well, that's true. It's a tremendous honor and it's a tremendous responsibility to be in this role. Um, this is Lambda Legal's 50th anniversary year. And uh, we are busy, as busy as ever. And a lot of what we're addressing um, is the intense, appalling, sometimes overwhelming uh, attacks on trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. And so I, I do consider it uh, an, uh, a core responsibility to work with my amazingly dedicated colleagues. And I, I will say, Ellie, we, we litigate, a lot of our work is litigation, including litigation to, to challenge and block as many of the state anti-trans and anti-non-binary um, bills that we're dealing with. Our policy advocacy is very, very important, legal advocacy in legislatures and litigation. They work together. So people often think of us as just running into court. We do a lot of that, but we also do a lot of running into legislative arenas to deal with the place where lots of these attacks are are happening. And I, I must say, we are blessed by the quality, the dedication, the smarts of our legal team. I'm, I'm really honored to lead them. So let's get, before we get into sort of the nitty gritty about what's going on in America legally, as it relates to trans uh, non-binary people, tell us a little bit about Lambda Legal. 50 years around, how, how large is, how many lawyers do you have? And then I know you have affiliates. You work with, uh, you know, law firms and, and legal and, and lawyers who are doing pro bono work and that kind of stuff. Give us kind of a little bit of the lay of the land for the organization. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we're, we're a staff overall that's close to 100. And our legal team, which is lawyers and paraprofessionals, um, is about 40. Uh, so it's about 30 lawyers and about 10 amazing paraprofessionals, paralegals, legal anal- analysts, litigation support folks. Um, so the, the legal department does the legal work, obviously, but we also have a wonderful communications team and other folks that that support the work in a range of ways. We work out of six offices, the headquarters and the the birthplace of the organization, if you will, uh, is New York City, Um, was relatively close to Greenwich Village, um, where Stonewall happened, uh, 
we've had different locations over the 50 years since, but we started in, in New York under New York law. And I will say this is our origin story was that we were our own first client because the state of New York in 1972, when a small group of lawyers in New York tried to create the organization, rejected our incorporation papers, declining the request to become a nonprofit uh, legal group to provide legal support for, as we said at the time, homosexuals. Um, <laughs> right, right. With the state of New York saying there was nothing charitable or socially beneficial about that mission. So we had to sue New York to come into existence and that happened in, in 1973. So we also have offices. I'm coming to folks from Los Angeles, our Western regional office. We also have offices in Chicago for the Midwest, Atlanta for the South, Dallas for the South Central region, uh, our most recently opened offices in Washington, DC. So we, we work regionally so we can be in community, close to our communities, um, and also working as one organization nationally. It's, it's great work. And Lambda has been there for some of the largest, the most significant cases involving LGBTQ plus people in the history of this country. I mean, the marriage case, Biggerfell, Lambda was heavily involved in, in getting that case uh, off the ground and then getting it argued before the Supreme Court and then obviously getting a result um, in 2015 which I question whether we would get that result, unfortunately, in 2023. Well, you know, I'll, and I will take it a little bit uh, earlier than that, just to give people a sense of the, the bigger picture. I, I think it is wonderful that so many people were able to follow the, the marriage equality work as it percolated, which actually took decades you right. know, I had many people after we won saying, oh, you know, come be at our conference and talk about the overnight success that you had <laughs> winning the freedom to marry. And I was like, well, overnight success, if you consider 30 or 40 years to be overnight. Um, but but our work started with some of the basic work dealing with police abuse, police violence and the right of of students to have a presence in schools, a, form a club and 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 be recognized and talk about our our lives we had many cases against the U.S. military that discriminated decade after decade against people for engaging in same-sex conduct, whatever a person's identity might be. And then when Trump tweeted out his oh, ban on transgender service members, we sued about that. A lot of that is about employment. Uh, not necessarily everybody wants to join the military, but it is the world's biggest employer and an opportunity for many people to to have a range of types of opportunities. Um, and we sued and defeated the remaining laws against same-sex relationships, the, the criminal sodomy laws, the laws- uh, Lawrence v. Texas, yep. Lawrence yep. v. Texas in 2003, yep. which then set the stage to win the freedom to marry. I mean, first, we could have the freedom to date, if you will, and then the freedom to marry, if that's what you choose. So, But there've been all sorts of cases, including very important cases about access to health care and, and rights not to be refused equal treatment in a business or other settings because of somebody else's religious beliefs about us. So it's right. a, a, a broad, you know, really there's been discrimination against LGBTIQ plus people in every phase of our lives. And it's Lambda Legal's mission to work on, on all of those issues to the extent our bandwidth allows you know, our, our resources are limited, but to really try to address all the areas of our lives, especially for people who are at the greatest vulnerability for discrimination, harassment, violence, exclusion of all kinds. 
Well, and, and well, when I see Lambda's name show up in litigation, I mean, I know that it is getting, whatever the issue is, it's getting the top shelf um, representation for LGBTQ plus people. I absolutely do. Uh, Jenny, let's do a little plug here for the organization, okay? All right? Because I know our listeners are, I mean, we've got great listenership, and they're very in tune. They want to, you know, be able to assist. So if somebody wants to learn more about Lambda and maybe contribute, how would they be able to do that? Well, an easy way, we are all over social media, um, and our website is uh, lambdalegal.org. So think of it as Mary had a little lamb, L-A-M-B-B-A, <laughs> lambdalegal.org. And, uh, and of course, on, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, um, uh, YouTube, all the different, all the different channels. Um, and there are many ways to contribute. And I want to stress, Lambda Legal is about our civil rights as LGBTQ IQ plus people. Um, and, uh, and it's not just for lawyers, it's for all of us. And folks will see on, on the website and in the social media channels, the information is there for, for everyone. And it's accessible, it's intense often because what we're dealing with in terms of the discrimination is intense, but it's very accessible, very engaging. We invite people to follow us and of course, become a member, contribute as you can. The more resources we have, the more work we can do. Well, I should let listeners know also that I am a member. I've been a member of Lambda for a number of years. So, all right, Jenny, so let's Transgender Day of Visibility. Let's talk about, you know, that. So as I uh, <clears throat> was preparing for you, um, you know, I tried to do a little rundown about where we are right now, like on March 31st, okay? Because it is a moving target, literally, day to day. But as I at least can figure out, right now, as I talk to you, um, 11 states, 11 states have banned gender-affirming care for transgender children. Um, 19 states have banned transgender children, mainly transgender girls, from participating in sports from kindergarten all the way up through state university senior year. Four states have banned um, adults on Medicaid from getting any kind of gender-affirming care, any kind of care related to, you know, surgery or anything like that. Um, And, you know, and, and the list the list of marginalization, I mean, I think we've got two states where Ellie Krug can't use the restroom of those states, Arkansas and Florida. Um, with um, Well, I mean, i certainly happy to go use the men's restroom. I really like men. That's who I date. But I don't know if their wives would appreciate that. And so, you know, um, that's assuming I didn't get beat up. And, and, and so tell me, how are you feeling from a legal perspective, and what is Lambda doing across the board to try and help, you know, my community? Yeah, well, it is an appalling and dangerous uh, legislative landscape right now. Yeah. People count the number of bills different ways, but by our count, there's well over 400 explicitly anti-trans bills that have been introduced this session alone so far as of the end of March and state legislative sessions. Most of them are are still open and will be for a number of of additional months. So what we are seeing is a is a type of frenzy or contagion among 
extreme right wing legislators that this is a legislative tool or weapon of choice this season. And it's been growing over the last between five and 10 years. I mean, as it as it was becoming increasingly obvious that we were going to win the freedom to marry, we saw a surge of bills proposing to create religious rights to discriminate against married same-sex couples and against LGBT people in general. And after a couple of years of that, we started to see the, 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 the uh, rise of bills targeting trans folks, and it has just escalated. And yep. this year, it's just absurd. It's so extreme. And you mentioned the range of areas of life that these bills target. It is shocking to me to see the targeting of young people. Um, language of protect the children, which we've seen for decades, right. that the, the language used against gay people, gay men in particular, and then same-sex couples in particular, now trans folks, of, of we must protect the children from these LGBT folks. But targeting children in the name of protecting children is a new flavor of perverse Orwellian politics, in my view. Um, and it's being driven by flagrant bonkers junk science. Absolutely. Um, there is a lot of research at this point that for many people, not everyone, everyone's different, but for many people, access to appropriate medical care, gender affirming care of different types, depending on a person's need, can be life-saving. Uh, and that's not a subject of reasonable medical dispute at this point. <laughs> we have decades of, of accurate information but what we've seen a rise of is junk, fake science, and and um, data taken out of context for misleading arguments. And I've spent some time, and my colleagues have spent quite a lot of time, testifying in state legislatures against these bills, explaining and pointing out how data is being misused, the, the things that are just simply not true to legislators who, well, they certainly don't have medical licenses, but they don't have background, and many of them seem impervious to facts, just not interested they, in what's actually true. Well, they don't care. They don't, they've never met a transgender person or talked to one other than maybe for three minutes before in a, you know, legislative setting. Um, and, and, uh, I mean, for me, the, the frustration is where will it end? Because it apps, you know, we've got, you know, Michael J. Knowles talking, you know, publicly about transgenderism, okay, needs to be eradicated. He tried to go at great lengths to say he wasn't calling for the eradication of transgender people, just transgenderism, which I don't know how you separate the two of those things. Um, but, but for me, the concern is where will it end? Because, it, Jenny, it certainly seems, you know, and they're only going to get so much out of the rest of this legislative season, but it seems we're headed towards going after trans adults just about, you know, generally being in public. And, and, and I am just gravely, gravely concerned about that. Yeah. Well, I think there's good reason to be gravely concerned, but not to be despairing because, I mean, I've been at this work for quite a while. I want to say I haven't ever seen a frenzy of legislative attacks like this, Right. but during the fight for the freedom to marry, there was an enormous amount of junk science pumped out about the harm to kids if they have same-sex parents. Um, and before that, there was a bunch of junk science 
that being exposed to a gay person would turn kids gay and that that would be terrible. And before that, I mean, we had the lavender purge by the U.S. government uh, seeking out, I mean, you know, the term witch hunt is overused these days, but seeking out and, and firing people um, thought to be gay uh, from not just the military, but, but all federal government right. jobs as being sick and dangerous and unstable and all kinds of things. Um, and before that, we, we were deemed to be sinners by the major religions and, and to a certain extent still. All of that is both higher, both horrifying that government can behave that way and repeatedly has and reassuring because the answer, and this is the perfect day to say it and to say it again, the answer is visibility. The answer is lawsuits like the lawsuits Lambda Legal brings and that we do with our partners in our movement. Uh, we have wonderful colleagues at the other LGBTQ legal groups. We work very well together to try to cover as much landscape as we can. We're all relatively speaking small, but we are much stronger working together and we do a lot of that. But it's visibility, it's people coming out, it's people in public life, it's having a transgender woman as our Surgeon General. Um, we are having openly trans people in very public roles now, and we need that much more of that. And while this period that we're in is overwhelming and it's dangerous and it's terrifying for people, the fights, the litigation and the public arguments and the public discussion that we are having and that we need to have is, is part of what will get us to the other side of this horrible period. I mean, I have great concern about some of the people on the federal bench right now because, <laughs> because some of the judges confirmed that were appointed by the former president, confirmed by when Mitch McConnell had the speaker's gavel in the Senate, some of them had overt anti-LGBT records and were confirmed whether it's despite or because of the roles that they had played in political movements that include excluding us from public life. And so some of them have the power of the gavel on the federal courts right now, but there are a bunch of good people on the bench and the national conversation that we're having with all the legal work that it involves is what allows the visibility and the public understanding. And as more people understand, who trans and non-binary people are, then these political attacks don't work anymore. We've, we now have over 70% public support for the freedom to marry of same-sex couples. That was from about 20 to 25% when that work began. It did take a period of time and a lot of intensive work and resources, but as people have gotten to know us, those pol that political demonization doesn't work. And this will be achieved for trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming folks. But it takes resources, time, a lot of courage, and a lot of us who identify as allies to stand up and stand with our trans folks that we know and love. Thank you for that. I mean, obviously my work is always geared about me probably being the first transgender person anybody's met when I walk into a room and do trainings. And... Um, you know, and I, because I'm not a big, you know, household name, I have the opportunity to go to places where, you know, you know, Laverne Cox would never be invited to go and speak. And, and so, so that's helpful. All right. Well, Jenny, uh, we don't have that much time left. And I want to ask you, because remember, this show is about idealism. 
and idealists, people working to make a difference in the world, all right? Positive difference. So the question I have for you, and you may not deem yourself an idealist, but I'm going to throw that label on you, okay? Just sorry. <laughs> what, you know, and if you don't think you're idealistic, that's fine. Tell us. Tell us what you are. What, what made you an idealist? What made you someone to dedicate literally your life um, to championing uh, the rights of people who are historically marginalized? So, you know, I hadn't really thought about, uh, thought of myself as an idealist in, until we met and you were using that language and you did prompt me to think about this. And I think what I would say is, first of all, that it's a commitment to do what we can during the time that we have on this earth. Right. We, each of us has the time we have, whatever it is, and uh, that that I've been very blessed by the opportunity to to have some education and to meet amazing people and learn from amazing people and to have the experience of using some of my skills and some of my privilege to help amplify the voice and call for justice for some of the people that I've had the privilege to represent personally or in my role with Lambda Legal or in other roles as a lawyer and a, as a community advocate. It's only by, by telling the truth about who we are that we can expect to dispel the lies. But I am so lucky to, to have had the opportunity to live at a time when I could be myself and love the person that I love and to have a community, to be part of a community that is so extraordinary, so brilliant and fun and fabulous. And I would be no other place and with no other people. Um, so I feel like it's about sharing the, the fabulousness and the brilliance of who we are. And I have seen the power of us doing that to bring about positive change. I mean, look, we are who we are. Uh, because of because of love and because of telling the truth. Um, and in doing that, we free ourselves, but we free an awful lot of other people too, because misogyny and homophobia and transphobia, gender stereotypes confine us all. Um, so it's our role to get to call that out and help, you know, an awful lot of people, really everybody have a lot more freedom. Uh, okay, that's an ideal, but I think it's a, I think it's a pretty marvelous ideal. It is marvelous. It is. Well, Jenny, I have so enjoyed talking with you, and I'm really grateful that you made the time because we did a lot of shuffling to try and get this to happen. Um, but I'm really grateful that you made the time for us, and thank you for being on LE 2.0 Radio. My, my pleasure and my privilege, and, and happy Trans Day of Visibility to you. <laughs> Thanks so very much, Jenny. All right, folks, that was Jenny Pizer, who is the chief legal officer for Lambda Legal. Go and check them out at lambdalegal.org and, um, and support them. Please do. All right, we're going to do my C block um, when we come back and talk a little bit about what this day means for Ellie Krug, okay? All right, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug on AM 950. Um, and if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a sec. Galileo 
All right, check out Lambda Legal, okay? And Jenny Pizer. Oh, you know, you always wonder, how do these cases get there? Who are the people behind them? Now you know, you have some idea. All right, I want to talk about today, Transgender Day of Visibility, as Jenny so eloquently talked about, about being visible. And you know I am visible, of course. I mean, I've got this radio show. You know, I go out and I speak and train. I've been elected to the local school board. And, you know, and I am a big believer in the idea that human familiarity, okay, gets us past the things that divide us. And, 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 and so let me say this today, on this day of all days. First, I am proud to be a transgender woman. I am. I'm proud of this. I'm proud to be who I am. I'm not ashamed of it in any way. Um, I cut my own path the way that I do. You know, I'm not real good with getting up on soapboxes with the bullhorn and calling on people to march down the street, but I am really good with sitting in a room with people who have never met transgender people before and talking to them human to human. And so I am proud to be who I am, and I'm absolutely proud of the work that I do around human inclusivity and trying to make the world a better place. But I have other thoughts today, partly about what it means to be transgender in America right now. You know, as Jenny said, I mean, it is an onslaught. And I have to disagree with her a little bit because she talked about it essentially being a trend, you know, that we'll get past it. I am not entirely concerned, uh, convinced that we're going to get past it, particularly if you know, 2024 goes the wrong way because I do not see people letting up on transgender people, particularly if those who are totally intolerant of us have complete power. And so for my trans family members who are out there who are hearing my voice right now, my non-binary friends who are hearing my voice right now, what I want to do is talk to you I want to tell you, first of all, you are worth the work that it has taken for you to get to be you and to stay you. You are worth that work. I also want to tell you that you matter. You do. You matter to this world. You matter to me. You matter to other people. And you matter to, you absolutely matter to those who are in your life. And thirdly, you are worthy. You're worthy. Of, of being you, of having a job, of being loved, of having a family, of all of those things you absolutely are. And do not allow those who are intolerant to in any way cause you to feel that you are anything but worthy and of value. Now, I have to admit to you, it has been a tough week. The shooting on Tuesday in Nashville by a transgender person. Horrible tragedy. My heart goes out to the victims of that shooting. But I have to also say that on that night, I was genuinely afraid. I was in contact with other transgender people who were reporting to me they were genuinely afraid. I did not sleep easy on Tuesday night, wondering whether I would get a knock on my door. Well, I don't think it would be a knock whether something would happen because I am so visible in my community, in a community that is red to purple, 
in a county that's red to purple. But thankfully, nothing happened. But I'm concerned about the rhetoric that, that those who are conservative, those who are intolerant, are using that shooting as a way to call for even greater marginalization of my community. Tomorrow, on Sunday the 2nd, there's a gathering in D.C. by transgender people called the Day of <laughs> Transgender Day of, uh, excuse me, the day is happening on today, Saturday the 1st, Transgender Day of Vengeance. I'm not a fan of that either, to tell you the truth, because it's going to be transgender people toting guns, jeez, um, to make a point about transgender people not being pushed around. And I, believe me, I do not want to be pushed around any more by those who are intolerant or conservative. But I am not a fan. I'm not a fan of taking from the playbook of those who, would, who are intolerant of us and shoving it back in their faces. I don't think that's the way to go, particularly this week after what happened in Nashville. I will say this, though, to all of you. First of all, I want to thank you as listeners. I want to thank you for having been supportive of me for this show, which is we're going, we're into our fifth year, and, 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 all, and reaching out to me and, and telling me that you value what we do here on this show. So thank you so very, very much. But I'm also going to say to you this. I will not stop. I will continue to do my work trying to make this world a better place. I will continue with my idealism. I will not ever end being an idealist until I take my final breaths on some day that who knows when that will be. But until that day, I will continue to work to make the world a better place for all humans, all humans, regardless of your skin color, the religion that you practice or not, who you love, who you go to bed as, or any of the other silly things we use to make people other. You can bet your last dollar on that. So, there you go. I need to be a, do a big thanks to my producer, Patrick, who's had to do math again today. And to you, my listeners, please, if you know somebody who's trans or non-binary, reach out to them, will you? And let them know that you care about them and that they matter. Okay? Particularly particularly at this time where America is. All right, I'll be back next week. In the meantime, go out and do something good. Try and make the world a better place. Ellie Krug, over and out.